Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tree City Sports Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Baker, as usual, with my co-host, Graham Owen. Say hello, Graham. What's going on, guys? Today we are talking, for the first time in quite a while, um, had some personal, real-life stuff to deal with, so I haven't really been on a podcast of late, but we are back. Uh, we're back to talk about the Browns coaching staff hires. Plus, we were kind of waiting on some of the other stuff to happen. There was a lot of rumors. We were going to do a coaching podcast at one point, but literally as we were talking about doing that, the Browns decided to hire Freddie Kitchens on the full-time basis. Yeah, so that podcast would have been pretty much yeah, unnecessary. It would have been about good for about three hours, and then it would have come out. Yeah, we're also going to do a little bit of stay or go with some guys around the roster um, after we do the coaching staff talk. But first, the Browns have a new head coach. They have filled out the majority of their offensive staff. They have a new defensive coordinator and a new special teams coach. Yep. And all around, I would say the reaction amongst people in the know and myself and you and random guys that drink beer and watch the Browns every Sunday. Yeah. And whoever you want to talk to, <laughs> it's pretty much been unanimously good. Yeah, I mean, the Browns seems like they've actually hired people that were well sought after in a lot of areas. I mean... Their offensive, new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, was the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he actually made them have a good offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston as their starting quarterbacks with literally no running game. I mean, they had weapons, offensive weapons, but, I mean, they were really making the most out of a bad situation, especially with the offensive line not being that great either and the coaching turmoil that was there with Dirk Cutter, who eventually got fired. So Todd Munkin really seems like he was a great hire, and he even interviewed for a couple of head coaching jobs. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because the Browns' offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, who you just mentioned, was a hotter head coaching candidate than the Browns' head coach. Yeah, Freddie Kitchens didn't get any other interviews besides the Browns. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's because the Browns refused to let him interview. Everyone else wanted him as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I think the Browns actually blocked but, him from interviewing. So let's, let's have the Freddie Kitchens conversation here. I mean... To go from running backs coach to offensive coordinator head coach in a span of two months is... It's quite a whirlwind. It doesn't really happen in the NFL. No. NFL teams are way, way more cautious about things like this. I think... I mean, obviously the reason he got the job is, A, the offense was totally turned around once he took over. The offense was a top, like, 12 offense in the NFL when he took over. B, his relationship with Baker Mayfield. I think that was the key reason, was that Baker really liked coach like playing under him and he really gave Baker a lot of creative stuff to go with. I mean, you saw the Browns offense second half of the year. There was so much creativity and so much new wrinkles that were added every single week, which as Browns fan, I was really hoping for because we saw this stuff the first couple weeks and we were hoping it wasn't going to get stopped. And the Browns for the, for a lot of the season, once Freddie Kitchens took over, they had, they ran a good offense. So it was very rare that they were getting stopped consistently. They were usually able to move the ball very well. And I think part of that was Baker Mayfield finally playing in an offense that was geared toward his strengths as opposed to when he was under the former regime earlier in the year when he really was just tr- being forced to run a system that probably didn't fit him very well. Yeah. Well, I think the third reason is if the Browns didn't give him the head coaching job this offseason, there's won. a good chance he would have been a head coach somewhere else next year if he was just the offensive coordinator this year. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know – discussion about whether the Browns wanted Mike McCarthy and told him they had to keep Kitchens and he balked or the Browns didn't really want him in the first place. Yeah, I was going to say that. I wonder if it was just, uh, uh, I don't know. They were like, you know, well, Mike, we'll give you a shot, but 
you have to have Freddie Kitchens as your offensive coordinator. And he's just like, well, I really don't want to. They're like, well. I saw that reported. I also saw someone report that they didn't really have interest in him at all. Which and so it's just, I don't I'm know. glad, honestly. I'm it's, glad the Browns didn't hire yeah. Mike McCarthy. I'd rather have someone that has worked with Baker or someone that is, and someone that's an experienced coach and has coached under good coaches like Bruce Arians. And he's had time to see this offense. He knows the strengths of all these players. And even adding in a couple new players in the offseason, he was able to tailor offenses to their strengths. I mean, he got Rashard Perriman and Rashard Higgins more involved. Even Jarvis Landry, when he wasn't putting up the crazy numbers, but he was succeeding as well. I mean, the offense ran on pretty much all cylinders for a lot of games. So I understand why they gave him the head coaching job, and it is a big jump. It's it's a big risk for the Browns. After... All of this conversation, I mean, look, the Browns had, by almost any accounts, the most attractive opening out of all eight openings in the NFL this year. I would say so. Because of the front office, because of the roster talent, because of Baker Mayfield. Um, Salary cap. They did, yeah. They did have a wide-ranging search. They had a lot of candidates. They interviewed seven or eight people, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I could go through all the names, but there's no point. It was down to yeah. two. It was down to Freddie Kitchens and the interim offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, from the Vikings, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. The so, Browns definitely seemed like they were going to go with a younger, less experienced kind of up-and-coming cabinet. They were going to hire an cabinet. interim offensive coordinator. Yeah, so, you know, Freddie Kitchens isn't young. He's not old. He's 44. That's pretty young for an NFL yeah. head coach. Um, I think a lot of fans are excited because he's kind of like – you know, you could picture yourself having a beer with him on Sunday watching the game. He's not like a, a pretty boy or anything like that. And plus, he worked I, really hard to so, get where he was. Right. So, end of the day, after this whole search and all the names we've talked about over the past three months, the conversations that we've heard around, the, you know, from all the sources around the league and you and I have had, all that. End of the day, do you think this is the best case scenario, yes or no? And if not, are you at least satisfied with the hire? For the offensive staff, I think you did about as well. I think they did about as well just, as they Just could. Freddie Kitchens. Oh, yeah, Freddie Kitchens. I mean, they could have hired other head coaches. They could have tried to go big and gone after, like, a Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Or they could have tried to throw a blank check at Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma and try to convince him to leave. But it didn't seem like he was really going to go anywhere. It didn't seem like Matt Campbell was going to go anywhere. I mean, John Harbaugh stayed, and that would have really been the only former head coach I would have considered for the Browns to maybe hire. Bruce Arians decided that Cleveland wasn't the only place that he would consider. Right. He went to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After the Browns didn't give him an interview. Yeah, which, again, that was weird, too. And at the end of the day, I think this is what you have to basically take the risk of. If you hired another head coach but forced them to keep Freddie Kitchens, two things would happen. A, they might not want him as their offensive coordinator, and that might cause the same problems that we've had for years with the Browns where there's not a collaboration. It's more of a, okay, we want, you have to keep this person and make it work, which is pretty much what the Haslam's told John Dorsey when he who must not be named uh, was coaching earlier this year. They basically said, okay, you have to keep him and give him a chance, and that didn't work out. It was the same thing with Sashi Brown and that guy didn't work out, and it's been that way for years with the Browns. So I think you had to pick guys that were on the same page, and the fact that if you were going to keep him as offensive coordinator, A, the coach might not have wanted him as an offensive coordinator, and B, even if he did and the Browns were successful, he would have left for another head coaching job in a year or two. Or at least got been really seriously considered and it would have caused the Browns to have to completely change their offense or get a new offensive coordinator and learn on the fly. Now, the Browns head coach is someone that knows the offensive staff well, knows how to game plan, is going to still call plays, 
And I think for the way the Browns wanted to go about it, I think it was pretty much as good as they could have done if they were going to keep, if they were set on Freddie Chins. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I think, you know, looking at this beforehand, you're thinking about all the big names, you know, the, like, like you mentioned the Lincoln Riley. I had mentioned the Mike McCarthy. There are so many kind of hot names. Dan Campbell was a hot name for a while. Yeah, and Freddie Kitchens Matt Everfluss. is not a hot name, but he became a hot name because of, you know, what he did for the Browns offense this year. And I think, you know... Even John Dorsey said he wasn't on his radar when he first started I know. compiling the search. I, I, as much as it's kind of a, an uprising and a, a surprising candidate... I don't think you can be mad at it because he's already had success with this team. And I think once I knew that Freddie Kitchens was a serious candidate for the job, I pretty much said in my, you know, my opinion was, okay, I'm fine with it, but they have to get an experienced staff. And that kind of leads us to our next topic is the staff. And they got, honestly, like pretty shockingly competent an experienced coaching staff. I mean, I really like there are, there are former head coaches, former, there are people, a lot of people on this staff that have been doing their job for a long time, very successfully, or have been head coaches around other situations before. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive how the Browns have felt the coaching staff. I mean, Todd Munkin, go ahead and talk about Munkin. I think Munkin will be a good, um, a good juxtaposition for Freddie Kitchens because Freddie Kitchens did a lot of running the ball on first down and trying to, put the Browns in favorable distances and that worked early when they were doing it. But then or later in the year, Nick Chubb started to get stuffed a little bit more, which made more second and eights and second and nines and not as manageable uh, down sets for Baker Mayfield. Whereas Todd Munkin uh, passed the ball 55% of the time on first down when he was in Tampa. Granted, part of that is because he didn't have a running game as running game was Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones, who was a bust. But, um, so he kind of had to, and that were his best weapons. But I think that'll be helpful when Freddie Kitchens and Todd Munkin are collaborating. Because, yes, as an offensive coordinator, he is the offensive coordinator, but he's not calling plays. Freddie Kitchens still is, and he said that he is. But that doesn't mean that Todd Munkin's not going to be a big factor and have a big input on game planning and on personnel and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's another reason I think it's really important the Browns got a, a really experienced staff. Because a first-time head coach there's only been an offensive coordinator for two months and is going to call his own plays is not really a recipe for success. A lot of first-time coaches struggle with calling plays in addition to all their other jobs. He must not be named. Yeah, yeah. And, but amongst other, there's been I several think, head coaches I mean, look, that have had that Todd problem. Munkin was almost the head coach at two other spots around the NFL this year. Yeah, and he impressed in a lot and of things. Todd Munkin has been a head coach in college for three years. Mm-hmm. He has been an offensive coordinator for quite a while. He has an air raid type of background, which means, like you had mentioned, a lot of passing, a lot of throwing downfield, a lot of throwing on first yeah, down. Yeah, they threw the ball 10-plus yards a lot in Tampa. Part of that was because both of their quarterbacks had very strong arms, and they had Mike Evans and O.J. Howard and a lot of these deep field threats that were able to – and Deshaun Jackson. So they mm. were able to throw the ball downfield. And the Browns have guys that can get downfield. And obviously they'll t- – but the Browns will tailor the offense towards that. And I think just having Munkin in there gives them another perspective, whereas Kitchens is a little bit more of a – old school run, run the ball while he does throw in creativity stuff in the passing game. He does like to establish the run a lot. And while I think that's important, I think, and we've said this as Browns fans for a lot of years, it it's not a bad idea to throw the ball in first down. 
And yeah, I mean, the Browns still, even this year when they were successful, still weren't throwing the ball a lot on first down. Yeah. And that was starting to make it a little bit more difficult for the Browns to move the ball against tougher opponents because teams would just stack the box against Nick Chubb and then would be able to send pressure Baker Mayfield when it was second and nine, third and nine, and made it really difficult for him. And have to he would have to create those crazy plays that he did getting out of the pocket. Yeah, the old school way of thinking is run on first and second down, run early in the game, that way you can set up your passing game. The new school of thought is now establish the pass, that way the opponent kind of has to be ready for your pass and opens up running lanes. And pass and run the ball out of sets that are not predictably run non, games. Non-traditional running so sets. So like yeah. Todd Munkin, when he in Tampa Bay, did run the ball, but he ran the ball a lot out of like three wide receiver sets, like 13, which is like uh, three wide receivers and one tight end. So he was able to do that. And the Browns have the personnel where they could run the ball like that. And Nick Chubb has experience doing that because when he played at Georgia, they ha- they did that as well. So he has experience running out of the gun. He was running out of the gun anyway in some of his time with uh, Baker Mayfield because they did run a lot of shotgun for Baker later in the year. So I think that that's not something that is going to be a huge change for them. But I think, like I said, Todd Munkin is a good contrast to Freddie Kitchens. And I think their minds together can create an offense that allows for explosive plays. And the Browns did do that. They were actually had one of the more explosive offenses in the NFL in terms of running the ball and throwing the ball. They were like fifth in the NFL in big plays. So the Browns have those guys that are capable of breaking off those big plays. And I think they just need two people together that when they game plan, Todd Munkin can create the game plan. He can go through personnel. He can be like, okay, here's what I see. Here's what I think we can run. And then Freddie Kitchens can talk to him and then they can come up with a game plan together. So I'm sure that during the games, I think Munkin will probably be in the headset with Freddie Kitchens as they look at personnel and will help him decide the play. And it'll be Freddie Kitchens' final say on what play they call. So it's a nice thing for the Browns. And it also gives Todd Munkin a chance to really show himself as as a legitimate head coaching candidate. Because if he does well with Baker Mayfield and Baker Mayfield and the Browns have a top 10 offense next year, the Browns might run into a situation where teams start poaching their assistants. So it's a good move for him as on a personal level. And it's also a good move for the Browns because now they have another guy that is really good at calling offense. If we sound weirdly optimistic, it's because it's really, really hard to criticize any of the coaching hires the Browns have made. Yeah. I mean, Todd Munkin, like you said, you know, Freddie Kitchens is kind of a run first type of guy. He's been a, he's a, he's been a running backs coach for a lot of his career. Yeah. So he's been a running back. Despite the fact that he was a quarterback. Right. He's he's definitely been a running game focused type of quarterback. And let's be honest, when he was a quarterback at Alabama, the only reason they won him was because of the running game. Um, <laughs> even their even yeah. their, even his head coach pretty much said yeah. that. Yeah. He was more of a leader than he was a yeah exactly. a quarterback. Um, and I think you saw last year, as soon as Freddie Kitchens took over, both running backs, Duke Johnson and Nick Chubb, had immediate success. And that's because he knew how to use them because he had worked and with you them saw, personally. And you saw the creative packages and the creative runnings, uh, running plays and kind of the, the different creativity behind the line of scrimmage, stuff yeah, I like that. I hope more of that comes back because they mm-hmm. did that early on in Freddie Kitchens' uh, games. But mm-hmm. later in the year, Duke Johnson didn't play, didn't get as many. Of course, he had his own personal issues. So I'm hoping next year that they also get a full offseason with the new running backs coach, uh, Stump Mitchell. Yeah. Um, who actually also what I've learned about him is he really emphasizes learning how to be a more well-rounded back. And part of that's pass catching. Hopefully they work a lot in the offseason with Nick Chubb so he can be a reliable pass catcher. And then they could even run offensive plays where they have both running backs in the field. Like the Saints yep. do that all that's the time. That's two of their best playmakers, yeah. I mean, the Saints do it all the time with Kamara and Ingram where and they honestly, can run Kamara, both of them. And honestly, the Browns have similar style of players except for the fact that in the Browns' case, the bigger back is the better back or better running back, you know, because Kamara is kind of like Duke Johnson. They're both pass catchers, and 
you know. Yeah, Kamara's a little bit better at being a true running back. Oh, yeah, yeah, Kamara's better. But I, but but yeah. I agree that they have similar skill sets, yeah. and they're both a very shifty, and they can make yards after the catch, and they can make people miss. And then Ingram from the Saints and Nick Chubb are very more in between the tackles guys, but Chubb has a little bit more explosiveness to right. him. Of course, Ingram's been playing longer, so he's yeah. just has more wear in his tires. But uh, Mark Ingram's been around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I but I think it's great for the Browns with Stump Mitchell and Munkin. So, again, a little bit more of a contrasting style. I think – and we're going to obviously talk about everyone, most of the people, but I think the biggest thing I like about these Browns hires for a lot of these positions is that they had a lot of minds that want to win, but they have things with a lot of different type of styles in it. And Stump Mitchell succeeded this past year with the Jets with Elijah McGuire, who no one's ever heard of, Bilal Powell, who's been a career backup, change of pace guy, and then our, our buddy Crowell, Isaiah Crowell. Who's – a Average at best starting line, starting running back. And he made that Jets running game very good and was able to give Sam Darnold some help in that area. Yeah, I think, so you had mentioned, you know, Munkin being very different than Kitchens, and he is. They, You know, Todd Munkin last year pretty much had no running game. That's partly because they had no good running backs on the roster. Yeah. And the, and the offensive line wasn't really designed to be a great run-blocking offensive line. But so also they think, had a bunch of weapons right. to pass catch. Yes, and I think, you know, the qual. We do have to mention here that there is a chance that all these personalities and philosophies don't mesh perfectly. Mm-hmm. I think we're discussing this as if we believe that Kitchens and all these coaches can kind of combine their mentalities into one kind of super brain as opposed to arguing over things like Todd Haley and he who must not be named. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like like you said, Todd Munkin almost a head coach with two different teams this year. And he and, and I think took a downgraded job because yeah. he was calling plays and, at Tampa and now he's not. And that that shows how much he wanted to be here is that he took a position where he knew he wasn't going to call plays even though he was almost a head yeah, coach. And they told him that and that he look, wasn't going to call plays and, you and look he said at, okay. You look at Ryan Lindley who's quarterback's coach. He's definitely qualified. He's an up and coming type of guy yeah. who could be an offensive coordinator at some time. Yeah. And I think like you said Stump Mitchell who's an accomplished running game coordinator. Adam Henry, the wide receivers coach, is staying. He's staying. And it's, you saw all the growth. We talked about it, all the growth of the wide receivers last year. You're looking at James Campen, who's coming from Green Bay. This is a huge hire. He is 15 Pe- years. People are upset yeah. that Bob Wiley is gone because they love his stomach and he's funny and drives he's a Maserati and all that. Coach too. Yeah, but James Campen has been in Green Bay for 15 years. He's developed six Pro Bowlers since 2010. Yep. And, and he's worked at J.C. Treader, so that'll be a big help. And he, you know... That's kind of the Dorsey connection here, the Green Bay connection. Yeah. And, again, James Campen did not get a promotion. He left Green Bay that still has Aaron Rodgers and still wanted him to stay there. And he's been there 15 years, and he left there to get the same position with the Browns. Yeah. And previous years, the Browns have had to scrap to try and find coaches. Mm -hmm. And now we have guys who are at the very, very top of what they do in the league. They're leaving their teams – to come be the same thing with the Browns, not even promotion. Yeah, and the and, one and position the Browns haven't filled, they're interviewing a former head coach and offensive coordinator in Joe Philbin. For a tight ends coach. coach. It's, it's and if crazy. he got that job, then that would that would be quite a staff. I mean, just the amount of, of knowledge and success all over this Browns coaching staff and different philosophies, I, I just think it's a recipe for a really, really great coaching staff. And – there's a good chance that if the Browns have success this year, Todd Munkin is a head coach next year, and he's a one-and-done coordinator. But there's nothing wrong with that. 
you can't be afraid about losing an offensive coordinator after a year because he's so good. That's a good thing. You want yeah. the best guys in your staff. And he can have a lot of influence in one year on Freddie Kitchens and whoever else. And I just think the Browns' offensive staff is its really, really impressive. It's a lot of guys who are really, really renowned to do what they do. Yeah. And I'm just, I just think for, for Freddie Kitchens, for a first-time head coach, to have all these guys that know what they're doing and he doesn't have to worry about plugging holes – it's going to make his job as a first-time head coach a lot more reasonable and attainable for him to have success. Yeah. I mean, the off, it's nice that the offensive side of the ball has seemed like it's pretty much gotten itself under control. I mean, the defensive side of the ball, we literally have, like, one coach that we know for sure and a couple guys that might stay. Browns hired Steve Wilkes, the former Arizona head coach, former pa- Panthers defensive coordinator. He worked under Ron Rivera. And he was Lovie a, a one-and-done head coach this year. Yeah, he, and he didn't do a good job as a head coach this year. He really that team struggled badly and he wasn't able to adjust to being a head coach. And that said, he's a good defensive coordinator. They didn't though. have a lot of talent and the players yeah. loved him. Yeah. And he was a, and he's a good defensive talent. And I think he is able to see everything. And he came from a system where it's going to be a lot of uh, zone coverage. Cause he came from a lovey Smith system because of Ron Rivera. And then those two guys came from Tony Dungy. So that's going to be, you might see a lot of zone coverage. You might see a lot of, guys playing a little bit more off and the Browns do have some players that are good reactionary guys that can play that. That'll probably Schobert was already playing that way kind of anyway under Greg Williams. So I don't think that's going to be a huge problem, but I think Steve Wilkes was a good hire. I mean, I, I would have hoped they would, could have gotten like Chuck Pagano or something like that, but he went with the bears and you know, Steve Wilkes is, an, is not a bad hire at all. And I think he can be a good defensive coordinator and really give some veteran leadership to the, the defensive side of the ball, which they need with a young offensive staff. Yeah, I don't think Wilkes was the top candidate available for defense coordinator. There was a couple guys that I would have preferred. But the fact that he was a head coach last year, he didn't have success. And, you know, that shows that maybe he wasn't ready to be a head coach or he's not a head coach. That's okay. He's a defense coordinator. He's not the head coach. And I think the fact that he got a head coaching job shows that he's respected around the league and he's had a lot of success doing what he does. And, again, I think – to have, even if it is just one year, a guy who's been a head coach before mm-hmm. that can run the defense, he's going to have no problem commanding that side. And the Browns needed a strong defensive coordinator because Kitchens is an offensive guy. He's a first-time head coach. And the Browns really needed someone that could just run that yeah, side of the and team. Losing Greg and Wilkes Williams, is that guy. And losing Greg Williams was big. And getting someone yeah. that was able to do a similar job in terms of being able to lead that side of the ball yeah, the Browns was did, big. Because the, without Greg Will- if you had hired someone that, that wasn't like that and Greg Williams was able to do then that's a big problem because then you're having to deal with a defensive side of the ball that doesn't have as much experience. But with Wilkes, you get that. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I just think it was important to not have a first-time defensive coordinator. I, I think agree. it was important to have an experienced candidate, and that's what Steve Steve Wilkes is. And I think, yeah, I think it's also, you know, ultimately I'm not sure yet about Steve Wilkes. I, I think it's a good hire. There's a lot of – defensive players in the Browns roster that we're going to have to figure out kind of how they fit. Yeah. Depending on, on depending on what system he runs. It'll most likely be a 4-3. He's run 3-4, but if you're the yeah. base packages nowadays in the NFL are run like 20, 25, yeah. 30% of the time, it's mostly nickel. So it's nope. really just learning what type of stuff you like to run, what type of coverages you run, how you blitz. And we're also going to see, you know, how his staff fills out. We have yet to see that. But, hey, look, end of the day, people love Greg Williams. He had a below-average defense. Okay, yeah. he really he was did. Abandoned, don't and, break and guess what? If the Browns defense is average next year, there's a good chance they're a playoff team. Yeah, if their offense um, is what we assume that they're. We're going to play be. a brief little session of stay or go based off kind of the Browns defense and Steve Wilkes that type of thing. Um, so we'll be right back. 
And we are back. So we're going to play a brief little game here called Stay or Go. Kind of deciding in our minds if guys that are on the Browns roster should be gone next year or if they should come back. And this could be happening soon. Some guys might get cut before the league year starts, which is in mid-March. because Just because of like contract bonuses and stuff like that. Some guys are just true free agents. So, uh, yeah, it really could depend, but it's coming up faster than you would think. And there are some guys that there are some major question marks about whether or not this team, they'll be back with the team next year. Starting with our previous starting quarterback, now backup, Tyrod Taylor. What do you think? I would like to keep him. I don't know if we're going to, though, because I feel like he, I don't know if he's going to get a starting role anymore. I feel like that ship has kind of sailed in his career. I think a lot of teams have realized that he's, a, he could be like a good backup and a good stopgap guy for a couple games. But as someone to lead a team as a bridge quarterback, I don't know if he's the best answer because he's probably not going to give you much of a chance to win the games. He's not a great thrower. He really struggled this year when he was playing with the Browns. Maybe part of that was the previous staff, so maybe he could get back to being a, what he was in Buffalo, which was a good game manager. Yeah, the Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, Todd Haley shit show. Ah, oh, damn it. But, and, uh, uh, that was a crap show, though. So. Yeah, Tyrod Taylor, I mean... If the Browns could bring him back for between like, like a Nick Foles deal, like between like six, seven million a year, I think with the Browns cap space right now, that's not a terrible solution, because your other solution is keeping Drew Stanton as the backup and him having to play. And I don't know if Drew Stanton at this point in his career is a reliable backup quarterback. He seems more of a third quarterback that can help develop. Yeah, Drew Stanton is a coach. Okay. Yeah. So I think we need to develop. We we need a backup. We need a backup, yeah. and it can't. And we're st- and Baker Mayfield's still not being paid a lot, so until he is, you can kind of spend a little bit more on a rookie on a backup quarterback. So I think, if I had to guess, I think Tyrod Taylor's probably gone because I think some team probably will actually give him a chance to start, or he can probably make more money elsewhere. But if it was up to me, I would like him to stay. I think I think he should. I think he he, he can be gone. Yeah. Um. I I wouldn't mind keeping him because you know the coaching staff and Baker Mayfield said he helped out a lot this year. I'm saying he's a big veteran leader. He was still a captain. Yeah. Like I will said. say I'll say, I I would wouldn't not mind keeping him at all. But I think ultimately. What about your? You've talked about uh. I think ultimately, a Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. who is, who has worked with Todd Munkin before would make more sense. I think Tyrod Taylor is still at the phase in his career where he's going to want to play and he's not going to play here. I think the Browns do need a legitimate backup. I don't think the time is now to draft a developmental guy. Not until Baker Mayfield's That's got probably a, co- in a couple, couple of years. years. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe not a Josh McCown. He's a little old. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick would be for- perfect, but he could get a chance to start somewhere. Maybe, probably not. I think the teams have started to see enough of him now. Where he, he's, he could get he could, he could be a starter for a team that drafts a rookie. And he's for an a partial guy. season. And he's an yeah. older guy too. He's thirty five. So yeah. I mean, he's. He, I, I wouldn't would be, mind Tyrod Taylor, but. Again, I don't think he's going to end up It would staying. have to be a backup for backup money. It would have to be like between five, yeah. six million. Yeah, I think he wants more like 10, and I think he wants a chance to start, which I don't blame him for. No, I agree. But, I can understand. I mean, I, d- I do agree. The fact that he was a captain while being a backup shows a lot. Yeah. So I'm open to it, but I think there are better fits. I think if some of the better fits are gone, then I'd be even more open to it. Yeah. Um, there's a couple receivers. We've discussed at length the Browns' need for a big-bodied number one type wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I think... If you're looking at, you know, that, you've got that guy, whoever that may be, and you've got Landry, and you've got Callaway as your top three. Yeah. I think right now Higgins and Perryman are kind of your four and five, and I'm not sure there's room for both of those guys. Yeah. What do you what do you what are your thoughts? I mean, they both play different roles on the team. Higgins is more of a short intermediate route guy who's a, who's also able to create 
uh, with Baker Mayfield. If, if the play breaks down, he did more really of a well possession in that. guy. Yeah, he's not a deep threat guy. Whereas that's where Perriman excels is more of a get down the field type of guy, big bodied guy, able to jump up and high point the ball, which he did a good amount this past year with the Browns when he signed with us. It was actually a very good signing for the Browns for what they got, what they paid for him, which was nothing. I mean, I'm a big Higgins guy. I think Higgins should stay because I think, and I think he will stay because I think Higgins is someone that is a reliable receiver that you don't have to pay a lot of money. And I think that having a deep receiving core is very important for Baker because if you're not going to have those... He spreads it around. Yeah, and if you're not going to have those top-tier wide receivers, even if you draft a rookie wide receiver or sign a veteran, I just don't think it's going to be something that you're really going to, you know, you're not going to be able to fix it with just one more rookie wide receiver. And I think having another possession guy, someone that's had that experience with Baker, could be a good thing. So I think he's going to stay but it wouldn't shock me if what about they move on. I think Perriman's is going to stay too. I think I'd pick one of the two and I'd pick Perriman. Yeah. I don't th- I don't Perriman? I don't see a lot of upside with Higgins and I don't think the Browns need to pay 3 to 5 million for a number 4 or 5 wide receiver. I think they could fill that role with Derek Willies, for example. Yeah, Willies and Ratley could could uh Yeah, I don't I I I, I don't have that. a problem with Higgins. I just think that the Browns don't have a great deep threat in the roster if Perriman's gone, and I think the Browns have enough intermediate type of guys, especially with Njoku and, and Landry and whoever they end up drafting or signing, that Higgins isn't really necessary. I, I mean, I like Higgins, and I think he's a perfectly average receiver, but I just don't think I'd end up allocating resources to him. It depends on how much you have to pay both of them. If it becomes an issue where you have to pay both of them 3 to $5 million, then yes, I under, then you have to pick one because you're going to have to start paying other big players soon too, and that's going to eat into your cap that you have. So um, I, would, I would keep both for another year. Like I'd see if they would both be willing to stay in a one-year deal. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. On the offensive line, the Browns definitely need help at the tackle position. Hubbard, Chris Hubbard was not successful at right tackle, even yeah. though he started all 16 games. Yeah. Greg Robinson was, you know, average maybe at left tackle. Average, above average. Desmond Harrison's games. developmental guy who it remains to be seen what – I would assume he'll stick around maybe as a c- competition for right tackle. Ultimately, the Browns have three guys that could compete for right tackle. I'm not really sure how you would play it. What do you think about Robinson and Hubbard? I would keep Robinson and I would get rid of Hubbard because Hubbard's making too much money. Robinson, if he can't play left tackle, I think can play right tackle. And I think he just overall is a better player at this point. And Hubbard really struggled in a lot of the in a lot of areas. And I just don't think he's someone that long-term the Browns can keep as a starting right tackle, especially Ag- for the money they're paying him. Agreed. We'll move on. That's an easy one for me. Yeah. Um, Trayvon Coley on the defensive line. There's a few defensive linemen like Trayvon Coley and Carl Davis, um, Brian Price. Brian Price. Um, I think but keepers. Is most important. I think the keepers in the defensive line, obviously Garrett Ogunjobi, Ogba. I think Zettel is a keeper. Chris Smith. Chris Smith is a keeper. Beyond that, I would probably let everyone else go. I would probably unless. Is there anyone else on the defensive line you would keep? No, Coley is the only one I would even consider keeping. And I think at this point you kind of. Unless you can sign someone that's a really good starter and he can be a rotation guy, I just don't think he's worth a spot on the roster. Yeah, I think the Browns are in need of several players for the defensive line, like a, a starter and at a couple backups. Two. Yeah, I don't think any of the guys the Browns have right now are really impact players at all. No, I think I think the they guys have a couple good rotation I, guys yeah. and then that's about the names it. we discussed: Garrett, Ogunjobi, Agba, and then if it depends on how Zettel, you put Avery and Chris there Smith. Too. Yeah, Avery Avery's not really a lineman, but he's in that. He's group. a hybrid. Yeah, I think those are the only guys that I would keep. I think the rest of the Browns defensive linemen can go. Yeah. Um, this is where it gets complicated and confusing and tough decisions. Jamie Collins and Christian Kirksey. This is where I'm unsure about Steve Wilkes 
because it seems to be just some debate whether Steve Wilkes is going to play a 4-3 or a 3-4 base. And base isn't what you play every play. There's a lot of nickel because there's a lot of passing down. But in nickel, Jamie Collins was usually the one that was off the field. So are you going to pay someone that much money who might only play 40% of the snaps? And what about Kirksey, who you're going to pay, who's a 4-3 inside guy? And, you know, if you're running a a 4-3, you already have your inside guy with Schobert. Yeah. Problem is, if you let both of them go, the Browns are down two starting linebackers. I think at this point, which I can't believe I'm saying this, I think you have to keep Collins and try to find a way to get rid of Kirksey. Unless Steve – if Steve Wilkes wants to run – a lot of four linebacker sets, then you can keep Kirksey, but I just don't see that. Kirksey because Miles Miles Garrett is a four three defensive end. He's not a three four outside linebacker. No, and he doesn't have the coverage. I don't skills. think you can take your best defensive player and move him out of position. It's no, just not that's smart. a bad idea. I love Kirksey. He's a leader on the team. He's a good tackler. He's a solid player. I would probably be willing to give him one more year, maybe as a strong side 4-3 guy, mm-hmm. because he could be more of a run so defender. If, so if Collins left, then yeah, I would agree. I think you I, I think, think you have to keep one of them. I think, yeah, I think they've got to pick between the two and probably draft or sign a guy, probably draft, to fill their position. And high, like first or second yeah. round. Because Kirksey's a strong side guy, and Collins is a weak side guy. And I guess you could see having all three of those guys, but I think at this point... I think with, I think with Collins' age, he's getting to be more of a strong side guy himself. Yeah, I think at this point you have yeah. to pick. I think you have to pick two. I'd probably pick... I'd probably pick Collins at this point. I think I probably would too. I like Kirksey better, and he gives more consistent effort, but in terms of scheme fit... And he's declined in terms yeah. of his athleticism. That's just, you know, we'll see, though. It just really depends. Maybe Steve Wilkes has ideas about fitting both the men, you know? Yeah. I think Steve Wilkes has enough experience that I trust his decision-making on that. Yeah. Um, the secondary is a lot of moving parts. The, st- the parts that are staying... The top three. Yeah. Denzel, so Ward's Denzel Ward is staying. Terrence Mitchell's going to stay. TJ Carey's going to stay. And then in, in the in the safeties, Ter- Randall will stay. Silla Peppers. It's really, do you want Kindred to stay? Do you want Breon Batty Calhoun to stay? Do you want EJ Gaines to stay? It's I like BBC. I think BBC will end up being the one that stays. I, I, like, I really like him as like a number three safety, number four cornerback type of guy. I think you have to pick between him and Kindred. He had a solid year. Yeah. I think you have to pick between those two. because. Maybe. Kindred's going to be coming up the end of his deal soon, and some teams might value him more than the Browns. Yeah, I like so. Kindred as a backup. I think there's a chance that if he has another good year, he could be a starter somewhere else. Yeah. So um, that's I, I think, you know, those guys, I think the whole secondary, except for the guys that we already named that are staying, I think it's kind of like a, do you value them about as much as other teams? Because if other teams value them more, they're going to go. If, the, if they're not getting a lot of looks on the open market, the Browns could probably keep them. Yeah. Um, and lastly... Um, I hate to do this to you. I know he's your favorite player of all time. Um, you have every uh, jersey of the Browns this season for Greg <laughs> Joseph. You've got all the colors, all the alternates. I think you've got some throwback 1950s style Browns jerseys for Greg Joseph. I know he's the he best. He does picker. wear my favorite number. Yeah, and yeah, he's Greg Joseph is Graham's favorite player in any sport ever. Oh my god! And Graham thinks he's the best kicker in NFL history. But I think he <laughs> sucks and he true. should be gone. It's all right. True. Anyways. Um, the Browns will probably draft a kicker assign one to have competition at least. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Greg Joseph isn't that bad, and he's not that good. Let's be real. <laughs> um, we'll be back at some point, especially if the Browns defensive staff kind of gets filled out and if these free agency dominoes start falling. We will talk about the Cavs at some point. They won a game. Yeah, they did win a game. It had been, like, almost a month, but they won a game. And let's just pray we get Zion Williamson. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.